Welcome to the Just Fly Performance Podcast, episode 68. Today on the show, I have Robbie Burke, strength coach, therapist, and host of the All Things Strength and Wellness Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Simply Faster. Simply Faster is an online athletic performance technology shop distributing items such as the free lap timing system, gym aware, K-Box, 1080 Sprint, and the Speed Mat. I've gotten many of these items from Simply Faster and can confidently say that they make today's best training technology available to everybody. The free lap timing system has revolutionized both my practices and my athlete assessments, allowing me to look at the 10 meter fly capability of dozens of athletes in a matter of seconds. It is wireless, compact, portable, and incredibly versatile. The K-Box and 1080 Sprint are fantastic tools for any coach looking to build speed, agility, and implement training scenarios that go beyond the traditional weight room. The 1080 Sprint is being used by great coaches training some of the fastest sprinters in the world, and it truly represents high-performance speed training. I can personally attest that Simply Faster's customer service is second to none. Christopher at Simply Faster responds quickly to queries, and anyone who makes a purchase from Simply Faster is in good hands. If you want to acquire some of the best high-tech training equipment available, stop by simplyfaster.com. That's simply with an I, faster.com. They are the future of coaching technology. There are an awful lot of podcasts out there now. When I started this one up, I really had no idea at all what I was getting myself into, nor how crowded the podcast space actually is. Um, I, I can't imagine that anybody could ever find the time to listen to all the really high quality content that is out there. Uh, and, and as well as me, I, mean, I, I try to listen to podcasts, maybe not as much as I used to. I, I think I, I used to be that guy who had to read every article and, and listen to as many podcasts as I could, never waste a second. I think I've slowed down a little bit in my old age of 34, <laughs> um, just a little for the last few months. But one podcast that I will typically almost always check to see what's going on and what's new is All Things Strength and Wellness, hosted by the man himself, who's our guest today, Robbie Burke. Outside of being a podcast host, Robbie is also a strength and conditioning coach. He's a massage therapist, functional diagnostic nutritionist, holistic health and wellness practitioner, and he's based in Dublin, Ireland. Uh, it was originally, before I even knew Robbie, I listened to his show, and I've gotten to know him over the last few months a little bit. Uh, and just, I'm totally blown away regardless of who the guest is on Robbie's show, uh, Robbie's wealth of knowledge in not only strength and conditioning or sports performance, whatever you want to call it, but all aspects of human performance, physiology, uh, psychology, nutrition, uh, ideas on the brain and knowledge on the nervous system. If you listen to his talks with Pat Davidson, man, they are like, they are worth listening to multiple times and just amazing stuff overall. So Got Robbie on the show. Uh, we actually were talking about, hey, Robbie, what are the what are the biggest things you're into right now in terms of human performance? And we both kind of have the same the same uh, resounding answers: isometrics, isometric training. Like what? And and in one of the podcasts I listened to with uh, Robbie had done with Christian Thibodeau is they were talking about stuff the old school guys were doing. And if you've uh, checked out on Just Fly Sports the article that Roger Nelson wrote. Are we really surpassing the Superman of the past? There were some old school guys that really knew what they were doing, you know, and, and I think we, we get into this information overloaded paralysis by analysis 
um, state where we have to read everything and try to synthesize everything. But there was a day when people just had to figure it out. Yeah, they just had to start messing around and figuring stuff out and sticking with stuff and seeing if it worked. And anyways, I digress. But isometrics has always been one of those things. And I'm super excited to have someone with Robbie's knowledge, not only in his own personal reading, but also through the guests that he has had, uh, as well as his experience as a strength coach. So to really dig into isometric training and what are some implications that we can make for working with our own athletes. Uh, we'll also get into a variety of other cool topics. We're going to go on, on just like high-low training or the barbell method, if you will, on not only exercises themselves, but also training in general, weight-wise, uh, dynamic uh, effort, maximal effort. We're going to talk about individualizing factors in training, we're going to talk about constraints to athletes expressing their true strength. We're going to talk about periodization and training residuals. Robbie has, he just has like his basis covered in, in that and not only his podcast guests he's had, but also the amount of knowledge that he's picked up through reading and talking with great coaches about it. And also just training the nervous system. And that's kind of sprinkled throughout. And you'll see that theme throughout this podcast. It's always great talking with Robbie. I'm so excited to have him on the show, uh, and it was just a wonderful conversation that we had together. So I hope you enjoy it. Let's get on to episode 68 with Robbie Burke. Robbie, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here today, man. Joel, absolute pleasure. Thanks a million for having me. So yeah, man, uh, I'm lo loving your podcast and everything that you've contributed to the industry. I'm excited to have you on. Uh, let's, uh, for those of you people who haven't heard your podcast or ever heard what you're up to, could you give a little bit about your background, uh, where you've been, and then where you are headed now? So I named by my parents as Robbie Burks. That was the name they, they bestowed upon me. Uh, I am a human being from planet Earth. That's the way I always like to say it. But if you were to want to know where I am exactly in terms of destination. I'm from Dublin, Ireland, and currently that's where I'm living and where I'm based right now. Um, I've been a strength and conditioning coach um, for 11 years. I also have a fairly strong background in neuromuscular physical therapy. So basically that would be the same or the equivalent to a massage therapist in the States. Um, I also have a fairly strong background in nutrition, taking courses like precision uh, nutrition, doing a lot of functional medicine stuff. So I'm a fellow who, who loves to study, you know, a lot of diverse fields and sort of kind of put all the, the dots together, if you like. Um, main sports I've been involved in would have been the Irish game. So for a lot of the American listeners who won't be too familiar, you probably need to go to YouTube and type in hurling, H-U-R-L-I-N-G, and Gaelic football. They'd be the two main sports I would have worked with so far in my career. In terms of where I've been, I've, I've interned and worked at Mike Boyle's Strength and Condition in Boston. I have uh, interned at Altus in Phoenix under Stu McMillan. Um, I have been to the States a good few times as well for other things like Perform Better seminars. I've traveled to England and Europe for various courses involved in physical preparation, um, rehabilitation, nutrition. And then, of course, you alluded to I have my own podcast, All Things Strength and Wellness. People always say, why that name? It's a bit funny because I initially started a blog called All Things Strength when I was only into strength and conditioning. And then strength and conditioning opens the door into like rehab, and then rehab opens the door into like nutrition, and then nutrition opens the door into like functional medicine, and then functional medicine opens the door into like spirituality and personal development. And then you just keep going down these rabbit holes, and then you like come out the other end and realize, holy shit, everything's connected. The whole universe is just connected. Nothing's in isolation. I have to know it all. It's like I heard Pat Davidson one day say, uh, 
he introduced himself and he goes, hi, I'm Pat Davidson and I want to read all the books. In other words, he meant I want to know everything. So I'm sort of a similar ilk to Pat and like yourself, but just uh, avid learners. I just want to understand everything I possibly can about life and the human species and the, and the human condition, essentially. And I, I just want to understand as much as I can to enhance the human experience of life. Um, but I suppose the main means of how I do that is through strength and conditioning and the other fields I mentioned. And of course, sorry, my podcast, the, the reasons call all things strength and wellness is because I started off with a blog called all things strength. And then when I got more into sort of functional medicine and health and nutrition, I was like, you know, I'm not only into strength and conditioning. So I wanted to start this podcast where I could not only get strength and conditioning professionals on, but other health, health uh, care professionals, you know, so your chiropractors, your doctors, your physiotherapists or physical therapists are called in the States um etc etc so that's a little bit on me uh currently i uh i'm in between uh coaching positions i fairly hopeful that i have a position got over in the states just in case of getting the visa no i don't want to say too much more about it so uh, uh let's just say if i get it i won't be too far away from you joel yeah yeah well hey i'm excited about that i um yeah dude like to- i i think the future of the field is just totally headed in that holistic direction i mean that's where the all the breakthrough things I feel like even on the small, even on small scale, like even in the body itself, like you, you, you introduce the role of the foot and how that impacts everything else in the body and how the body responds as a whole. And, and just on the, just on the small myopic scale of the human body, and then you get outside of it into nutrition and psychology. Um, I think it's just, it's just awesome stuff. That's one of the things I've really enjoyed about your podcast and listening to some of your guests like Pat Davidson talking about the brain and neurotransmitters and Christian Thibodeau talking about psychology types and how that impacts training it's just massive stuff. Uh, I was going to say, too, it is funny. You know, I, neuromuscular physical therapy. Everything in Europe does have a fancier name than here in the United States, doesn't it? If you're, you're in the U.S., you're a strength coach. But if you're there, if you're a physical preparation, whatever, it's always got to sound more, uh, I don't know, refined than, than over here, right? All us meatheads. So. <laughs> yeah, it, it reminds me of a joke I heard one time where they're like, uh, you know, like Italian names are so much sexier than like English names. It's like, like for instance... Roberto Di Matteo. If that guy was English, his name would just be Bob Matthews. Such a difference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even in there, I'm sure there's a lot of diff- there's quite a bit of difference. Um, but yeah, the, the terminology it's always it's always interesting to me. Uh, so hey, let's uh, let's get started on these questions, man. Uh, and I I picked the ones I did just because I I feel like you in your own experience and through the network of people you've talked to, and you sound like you're a historian too in so many ways and so well read. So. The one, the thing that I want to talk to you about today is just isometric training, and I know we've both been reading up on Bob Hoffman, and we've we've had experience reading a lot of the um, the old school uh, renditions of this training method. But could you give a little bit? Maybe let's start with what you're learning now. What are some things that you are learning and realizing and understanding now, or in the last year, that are impacting your views on training for athletes? Currently. Where my headspace has been at a lot lately is the brain. And like I'm constantly going back to this concept that the brain is mainly concerned with survival. And like that's all it is. The brain's just always asking itself two things. Is it safe or is this not safe? And training is oftentimes seen as a big threat to the system of course depending on the training we're doing but like that that is training is a threat to the system it's the disruption in homeostasis and just in in terms of when, when we're looking at trying to increase the biological output of the organism so of the body of of, a, of an individual 
organism people, you know, you sound like a Russian already. Uh, we know that motor unit recruitment is huge. So when we look at things like, you know, the science practice strength training, whereas as you also talked about intramuscle coordination, motor unit recruitment, ray coding, synchronization, we know that this neural component being able to activate and recruit motor units is a huge part to increasing biological output in terms of strength and how much force we can we can produce. So what I've been thinking about a lot lately is isometrics. Because, I mean, you look at a lot of research and a lot of these like measures of force, like mid-thigh pulls, and they're like these static uh, measures because they're, they're just easy to, to, to get people into and whatnot. But it, it just made me start to think about ways to dampen down neural inhibition. I'm fascinated with neural inhibition. So, you know, the muscle spindles and the, and the GTOs. And then, you know, me and you have kind of swapped some messages on, like some of the Jay Schroeder stuff that we've heard about, you know, like these intense drop jumps, these long-held isometrics. I know Dan Fitcher has spoken about that before previously on your podcast, like holding the split squat position for five minutes. Um, is there some dampening effect going on there with spindle activity and whatnot? So... What kind of got me going then on the isometrics, and it's funny because you had uh, Matt Van Dyke and um, pronounce Max the second name. Just I, so I, don't I think it's Smarzo. I had to ask him actually to say, hey, Max, Schmar- I, yeah, I need to make sure I get this right so I don't mess it up in the intro. Yeah. Well, I've listened to that podcast. I'm not messing. I'd say I've, I've, I've listened to it four times this weekend because uh, I do a lot of walking and stuff. So, and just listening to it over and over again, a lot of what the, those guys uh, said and where their current thought process is very similar to myself. So there was actually a point where Max brought up about this idea that if you can up your your full squat, then he believes there'll be this range of motion buffer. That's something I previously also thought about as well. So anyway, with the isometrics, what I'm kind of thinking of is the idea, the, the fact you can maximally, like maximally express force and you can also do it you can set up in a way where it's safe in terms of like the lo- like the, the the mechanics of the body where we can maximally tap into some motor unit recruitment i'm just i'm just thinking to myself is you know how powerful can that be in dampening down neural inhibition and allow us to express more force so that's kind of where i'm at and then in terms of marrying up those isometrics in different positions so again if it's more acceleration stuff deeper angles if it's changed direction, very clever thing I heard from uh, Matt and Max too was with the volleyball girls, like the lateral lunge they, they put isometric pull in the lateral lunge position. That like that's all the stuff I, I was like. It's kind of like damn it, I'm thinking the same stuff as well. <laughs> uh, and just other things with the brain too. The fact that well, that it's all about the brain. So I've been thinking an awful lot about eyes, vision input from from Jeff Moore and from Dan Fitcher. I'm hearing them on your podcast, and I had Jeff on my own. Uh, vestibular has been very big because I was at a Perry Nicholson course and vestibular kind of got into me. So, like, you know, all these sensory, we know that vision, eyes, touch, taste, sound, smell, we know that all these are massive uh, feedback players to the brain. So, in terms then of just isometrics, to me, it's just about tapping into the brain, trying to heighten the brain's threshold level to threat. You know, so I was talking to Vernon better there lately as well. We just had a phone call and we were kind of saying that training like needs to raise your threat threshold so that competition is actually submaximal. It's it's like at an operational level where like your body's like, oh, this is this is nothing compared to what I've experienced in the environment from training. And that's why uh, Vern believes that a lot of uh, injuries are because training doesn't it, it it doesn't outstrip the threshold that you need to surpass in competition, and then your body's just not ready, and it just it's it's that again it's that stress physiology, it's that 
general adaptation syndrome are you gonna are you gonna adapt are you gonna break and a lot of times people break because they just they, they their body has not been at or above that threshold so that they can survive it so again it just goes back to brain survival with me it's just isometrics uh you know the spe- the, the, the principle of specificity joint angles um like even like looking at things like I think even the guy spoke about this, like I'm even thinking in my own head, like single leg step up where like you just have a little bit of bend in your knee, like at max velocity and like pushing into the pin at those and working on that co-contraction that Franz Bosch would talk about there and seeing would that be more specific and would that lead to a better output then when someone got up into their absolute max velocity running mechanics, could they then handle and transfer a better force through the muscles so that then that can go off to the soft tissue structures and then, you know, have more of that, serious elastic component fill up so they've been things in my mind so again so isometrics to me it's been more so about tapping into more model recruitment giving the giving the system more stress um to, to to deal with but also doing it in a way where we can load the body where the joints and all aren't being compromised um so it's just yeah stress to the system increasing threat response damping down neural inhibition isometrics i think to me there's something there and i was kind of trying to allude it to yesterday when we were messaging back and forth it's like there's something there, like there's an answer there, but I haven't just formulated exactly how I want. But I'm definitely seeing it as a PAP thing too, which again, Matt and Max alluded to. It, that's definitely been in my mind, as in like going in and the first thing I hit is this PAP. And just before I let you ask your next question, the other thing that's been on my mind lately, and again, Max and, and Matt alluded to this, was the weakest part. Like you're not, like when people say, oh, my max squat is 400 pounds. It's like, no, it's not. Your max full squat is 400 pounds because that's your weakest point is going to be your limiting point. And so, like, I'm also thinking about, like, like I'm already thinking about running an experiment for a little while where I'm just going to do absolute max isometrics in those weakest positions. And I got, in my mind, I'm thinking, and if you go back to, like, maybe dynamic systems theory, like, should it be a case where you do, like, a set of max isometrics, say, in the bottom, halfway up, and then at, at the top quarter part, and then put it through the whole the whole motion? like should you do that straight after from a motor control standpoint or should you separate it out like do one day isometrics one day dynamic these have just been sort of thoughts in my head lately so that's just kind of where i've been at you're listening to the just fly performance podcast brought to you by simply faster sure no i actually like to kind of dig into some of those points because i think um i think you're you're right especially the safety thing you said makes it makes a lot of sense to me in the sense of somebody, especially athletes too, and I think about this as my own background was uh, track and field jumper. So I had good feet. I could do plyometrics and drops all day long, which is a strong explosive isometric component in those the top end joint range, right? Um, but an athlete who doesn't have strong feet is going to hit the ground in an altitude drop, and their brain's going to be like, you know, f this. Like, it, it, I mean, their heels yeah. are going to crash yeah. down. They're not going to be able to absorb it through the glutes properly because they don't have good feet. But maybe for that athlete to raise their threshold in that position, I mean, obviously you can you have your foot progressions and low intensity plyometrics, no doubt. I mean, that stuff's important, and you wouldn't want to ignore it. But um, being able to put an athlete in an isometric with in that position, so their brain senses more safety. Like the isometrics is just there's more safety because you're you're locked in, like you're not you're not going anywhere. A heavy bar isn't going to fall on you as long as you set it up correctly. Like you're not going to hurt yourself, and so you can use that as a sensory tool where and i and i've actually like alex natera's uh, article he wrote for me I, I started playing with a lot of those um, exercises he was showing me and what i noticed with like the the ones where you were like you described like a step up with with only one inch range uh and you're mm-hmm. pressing in 
I, I, for me, like the weak points in the calf and the ankles, for sure, which is sad because that used to be a strong point of mine. Uh, but it's like you can, you instantly know where your weak point is when you do that short range stuff instantly because it's like you're going to either, and usually it is the foot and the, the ankle complex. So I think it's, it's a really cool instant feedback on not only helping athletes with the safety, but also what's, um, like what's, what's your weak point? What's, what's it, what joint do you need to get better at? And, and even just thinking right there as you spoke with that little sort of like low step up isometric whatever you you want to call it like then thinking to kind of the french contrast or some type of complex you know it might make sense then to go into maybe some type of drill or running drill you know that's upright running and sort of see if that neural inhibition allows you then to put a little more output in a type of running drill yeah i and i don't know if you listened to the podcast i did recently with stefan jones uh big cricket guy uh, he said he was talking about doing that with cricket throwing or bow- bowling. I, this is again my 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 uh, American terminology, right? Like Amer- Americans here. Like, well, it's, cr- is- it's cricket, but he's probably talking. About the, you can bowl. Uh, bowling in cricket is the person who throws the ball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fast bowler. So, anyways, he was talking about doing a isometric incline bench and then fast bowling and using that as a potentiation cluster, going back and forth. And when I heard that and and throwing especially because. You're reading like, and what opened my eyes to that was reading Franz Bosch's strength and coordination book, and like, you know, just how complex a tennis serve is, <laughs> in in all what all these muscles need to be doing. I was like, holy cow! Yeah. Like, you know, you yeah. can. I mean, it's it is it is really amazing what the body puts together, and just you know, just maybe raising the firing threshold safely of some of those muscle groups, and then letting the brain do the rest by switching back and forth between a skill. Uh, I mean, I've had other people, I know of track coaches who certainly, you know, do a lot of complex training, especially in the fall, full range lifts, and then they go do their sprints or jumps. But I'm like, wouldn't it be, if it's the nervous system we're after, why don't we just look at isometrics? Cause it's kind of like what Dan Fichter has said too. And, uh, if something works, it works right away. Like you shouldn't be like, Oh, I mean, there are cases certainly, especially with delayed periodization. And I want to get your, obviously we'll talk about that, but like, where it's like, okay, if this is going to work, you should see something right now, you know, like you should see something that happened to your nervous system. That's like, okay, this is good. We're on the right track. No, absolutely. Again, I, I think, and I, someone did say this in your podcast and I've been guilty of it too. And probably maybe you did too at some point in your career in terms of we, we got very isolated in our thinking, like in terms of exercises so it's like this this is the squat and this is the way the squat has to always be performed and it's like mm, the squat is a competition exercise in powerlifting and that's it and it's used as an assistant exercise in olympic lifting and that's it and if you're an olympic lifter you need to do a full range squat because that's what carries over to your sport and if you're a powerlifter you gotta squat below parallel because that is your sport uh whereas i think what makes more sense and you alluded to it there is we're we're physical preparation coaches or whatever you want to call us whatever the, the term is nowadays <laughs> But what we're what we're what we're really manipulating is the organism, and the huge player in the organism is the nervous system. So the nervous system is the, one of the key drivers, if not the key driver. The hormone system, to a degree, but it's a slower changing system. You know, you read any of your physio- physiology texts, they'll all say the two main systems in homeostasis are neurological, endocrine, neurological being fast, endocrine being slow. But really, we're always just trying to tap into that nervous system primarily and and strength training and all of the exercise and means of strength training are just that they're just a means or one way to do it that's why you like you get chris corfus who's like i don't really squat because i don't need that to tap into the nervous system and he's he's true like it's just one way of getting into that nervous system one way to again up to put out more force 
in in less time while executing your sport specific skill and that's kind of what we're after we're, we're looking for more biological output in the organism and we're trying to do that as efficiently as possible from a mechanical standpoint as well and that's kind of the paradox of what me and you are both talking about there with the isometrics because we, we, because in one breath we're saying we want more threat to the system yeah from, from an output neurological standpoint but we want it in a safe environment in terms of actual orthopedic loading to joints and stuff like that because if if the body if the body if if the brain feels that the body cannot produce force because a joint is in a bad position or there's damage to a joint, it'll come up with that arthrokinematic inhibition and it won't allow you then to produce optimal force around a the joint, therefore reducing your force output. And just one point, and I'll let you in there again because I know I could talk forever. When I interviewed Dennis Logan on my podcast, he brought up such a good point. He was talking about using safety bars with like his big football players, and he and he basically said to me, he said, think about this. If I use a straight bar back squat with guys who've got really restricted thoracic mobility and they can't get that external rotation on the bar, he's like, they're uncomfortable. And straight away, that's a threat to the body. And he says, that threat now won't allow them to express the most amount of force they can throughout that whole squat. Whereas they're in a safety bar, he says, now I can get them to produce more force. And so it's funny, they are producing more threat to their system because they can produce more force. That's what we want. What we don't want is a dampening down of the force we can apply because there's threat to the system from an orthopedic standpoint or a joint's not in a good position. So it's just a kind of, it's nearly like a paradox. You know, we're, we're reducing orthopedic threat that, so that we can upregulate more, more, more neurological threats so we can output our threshold and raise our, raise our neurological threshold so that we can dampen down neural inhibition. That's the way it would be in my mind. No, that's, what you just said there is, is amazing. I, I, I think that is something that is so huge, especially as we as an industry, it's like, it's, I mean, it's kind of a pendulum a little bit, right? It's like, there's there's the group that's just like you know very max strength very traditional and for a lot of athletes sir that that does work you know no doubt but at the, as we push forward into okay let's let's make sure we can adapt this for every athlete you know and and as raising every athlete's ceiling and doing so in a systematic manner finding different types of muscle contractions and in that regards you know Christian Thibodeau's stuff has been just mind blowing to me he's in, he's yeah. really strongly impacted the way I've seen training in the last uh, few few months particularly but. Yeah, I, I love what you said there. Like a lot of times, and we always see it, right? We we see those athletes that we know they are stronger than the weight on the bar. It's like I know you are stronger than that weight on the bar, right? So many times. And and but that athlete might be getting frustrated because they see their peers lifting more, or or you know they there's so much, especially when and I this was cool in Mike Boyle's uh, and I know you work with Mike Boyle, so maybe you can expand on this, but like the idea that look we're not squatting, so nobody in the gym squatting because yeah there's people who are gonna be able to get away with it, but by doing by squatting some athletes are gonna see these athletes who are doing it, and they're it's just the way that mentality sets itself up, and I mean I still I I still squat my athletes, but that statement has certainly changed a lot of what I think about it and just max strength in general too. Cause you get these, you get athletes who might not be, um, Arthur, what did you say? Arthur kinematically. I probably butchered that word, but, but suited. Oh, for no, certain right. lifts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. But suited for certain lifts. Right. And then they see other athletes who are, and they mentally say, Oh, I'm not as strong as them. I need to grind and catch up with them in something that's not your jam. So to speak, that's cool with the thoracic. I had never heard it put that way, but it makes a lot of sense. I'm glad you brought that up, Robbie. But uh, I gotta give credit to Dennis Logan on that. And like, listen, the other thing is too is that, like, again, we we people got trapped into, and whether it was consciously or subconsciously, again, I go back to like, you know, that this is a squat, and I've been told that a legitimate squat has to be below parallel, otherwise you're not squatting. And then when people see half squats or quarter squats, they're all like, oh, let's do a quarter squat, bro. And it's just like, yeah, but what's the what's the context here? Is is this a person? 
who like needs to be very strong in that range of motion for their specific event well then this is starting to make sense because again it goes back then to principles like specificity is one of the key principles in training so is that more specific for that person for for their sport in this context the answer could well be yes you know so i remember like uh dan faft he had this exercise that he would do with uh greg rutherford and it was like it was that really heavy step up where greg would just like step up in this tiny little like little elevation but and he'd do it with massive weight and you know people would see some people's coaching and say what is that supposed to be a step up like, like it's only like an inch step up like do a real one where your legs at 90 degrees and i'm like yeah <laughs> but do you know what greg rutherford's sport is like have a have a look at his penultimate step when he goes into his jump look at those joint angles oh now it starts to make sense so again it just goes back to the needs of the individual that we're working with and again going back to as you have we both loops now like we're just trying to tap into that nervous system and I'll use whatever whatever it means it is. If it's isometrics, if it's eccentric, if it's a squat or a split squat or a trap bar deadlift or whatever, it's just getting into that nervous system. And and I, I, it's only recently, probably along with yourself too, I, my eyes been open to this through the, through the likes of David Dan Victor and, and listen to Chris Corfus and you know just like all these really like people who are just much much smarter than me who who I just take their information and try and kind of formulate in my own mind. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. That that's good stuff, and I, I I like that you brought up as well, like the the idea of partial stuff with track athletes, because there's a lot of stuff in the strength and conditioning community. Again, maybe being not holistic, like it's like, and even strength and conditioning, one sport to train another in the old school sense. You're using powerlifting, Olympic lifting, trailer sports. Yeah. Uh, but like, so the idea of a, a partial squat, if you're only in that community and not looking at track and field, which has been enhancing performance specifically for years. It's like, oh, you know, should we use quarter squats? Like, track's been doing half and quarter squats for like 50 years. You know, this is nothing. This is nothing new. Uh, <laughs> anyways, that actually leads me to something else I wanted to ask you as we kind of uh, finish up this isometric section. You mentioned it. I believe the idea of, and with Matt and Max on the podcast talking about doing something in the full range, you know, we have that idea of 15 degree transfer or whatever, but from a brain and safety perspective, you can handle the load in the deepest range. Let's just say even isometric you're doing in the deepest range. Um, and then I know this is a Jay Schrader thing, uh, but you know, if you work the end ranges, work the full range of motion through uh, you know, extreme isos or plyometrics, low foot squat jumps, Russian jumps, uh, all, all that um, and holds in the longest angle and then you also work the other end which is like the pogo jumps the stiff jumps um, and then the brain should be able to fill in the middle and that's that is an intriguing part I'm just I'm thinking about that right now a lot especially and and mm-hmm. almost contrasting with what I just said about the track specificity because as in working with track athletes I've always tried to do at least some not I, I don't go I haven't gone hyper specific like I haven't gotten to the point where I was I wasn't doing heavy step ups i would just do plyometrics in case that usually but like i've always done partial squats but uh what's your um what's your take on on that like i just kind of that whole business that sounds like something that just completely popped into your mind there but i love it because it's authentic <laughs> you know so our, our minds are thinking as we talk it's in the moment you know it's it, it's what what immediately pops to my mind and I, I i don't i hope it doesn't come as a digression but there's a trend I see. It's, it's like a universal principle trend. So you're kind of talking about working either ends of a range and it kind of takes care of the, the whole, if you will. It, it, like it, there's a book by Thomas Curse, The Science of Sports Training. And then there's also Charlie Francis model, which we're very familiar with. And then there's also Westside Barbell. And then Max also mentioned Westside Barbell. Or was it Matt or Max? One of the guys mentioned it. But if you think about a lot of those models, uh, so think about Westside, they work either end of that model. So there's a max day, then there's a repetition, and there's kind of dynamic which fills in between. So they work either end of the spectrum. And if you look at like sort of 
any like so kind of track stuff you got that acceleration day then you got like your max velocity day then you have your enduring day like they're always seem to be working the either ends of the spectrum to take care of the whole if you will uh, and it's also like say within the that book by thomas curse the science of sports training he talks about then from a team technical tactical standpoint he talks about at one end what you can do is you can overload your technical tactical by going like with really intense methods but the duration is shorter in the competition so like that'd be like small side games if you mm-hmm. will let's say but then he's like if you wanted to go longer uh you could do like so let's say like you know soccer's 45 minutes or a 90 minute game he's like you could do a 100 minute game so now the duration is longer but the intensity is lower but now he's like what will happen is your whole game you're attacking it from both ends of the spectrum so looking at tra- it's like a universal principle this to attack training from both ends of the spectrum is in like maximally overloaded but have it less in the competition in duration or else go longer than the competition but have it less intense in the competition so now going back then to maybe like a movement like you talked about their squat attacking the top end of a movement and a bottom end of a movement will that then carry over to the the the, the what goes on between those as a universal law it, it probably is something that, that that there's something to there you know what i mean yeah, I, I think it, I think there is. I I mean, and where my more my training and how I'm approaching my athletes is kind of headed as an ends to middle a little bit, like just the same way that you mentioned, and and uh, the same way like a lot of uh, track coaches periodize their training is they'll start with like really short accelerations and then maybe some longer running, and then they'll they'll come towards the middle as the season goes on. And in my mind, I'm like, well, shoot, it could be the same way for how you approach the weight room. You could be doing uh, like like very stiff-legged altitude drops on one end, working on the feet, taking care of that. And then on the other end, you're doing your full range of motion work or isometrics and that type of training. And then maybe as you go forward, carefully selecting things in the middle if you feel that they're appropriate or if an athlete isn't getting results and then see what happens. That's that's kind of where I'm going. That's what I'm trying right now with some of my teams, uh, at least the ground-based sports. Uh, and and uh, so that's – and so far, I think the results have been decent. I mean, I, I've had a guy uh, – I had a guy just doing he he's squat he he's good at squatters tennis guy is a senior and we've just been doing a lot of like ends to middle stuff isometrics and foot stuff and he's put set a 2 inch vertical jump here with no traditional squatting or anything like that really uh, and just that was after about 6 weeks of that type of work so it was kind of cool to see and then maybe as we go on we'll 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 try to get some middle stuff but it seems good so uh- far You're listening to the Just Fly Performance podcast brought to you by Simply Faster yeah, I'm definitely interested in playing around with those Jay Schroeder, you know, so you're in that deep squat and you're doing those kind of sort of pogos as well, you know, so I'm definitely, definitely, you know, and, and more of that type of stuff. We'll probably talk to you more about it in the, in the next little while, you know, maybe at some stage. But, uh, yeah, that's that's kind of where where I've been at with some of that stuff. And it's interesting that, you know, it's so funny because when we were talking yesterday, you were like, oh, I've been thinking about isometrics. And then I was like, <laughs> isometrics? That's all I've been thinking about lately. Yeah, right. <laughs> Yeah, so funny so it was. Yeah, and the foot too, right? It's like it's kind of like. Well, you you you're more on the foot, and I just because I've been listening to your last few episodes, like, whoa, it's a lot of foot stuff yeah. here. So like, with Emily, uh, I won't butcher her last name. Um, say her last name again. Yeah, Splickle, Emily, Emily Splickle, yeah. Splickle, I'm just making sure. And you were saying I must get her on. She's definitely someone I'd be interested in. But like, I listened to Dr. Emily talking about the foot, and then you had a few other guys on there. You had a, uh, um, Coach Barr was on. He spoke yeah. a bit about the foot too, and then the latest uh, guest you had on as well. Yeah, I'll tell you what though. There's, there's, you could definitely creep out some athletes by just saying, "Hey, let me look at your foot." Like, like you gotta, you got sometimes you gotta be a little, um, 
I know you got to be like, oh man, you have to put some background into it. Some of them get a little uncomfortable. <laughs> I don't know, it's weird, but uh, no, it's uh, it's definitely a huge thing. And I, I mean, I think it's cool. I mean, it maybe maybe both you and I, as as we've uh, you know, the more you've kind of see all the spectrums of where the industry is, maybe you understand that kind of point that could help the industry the most. And I I think isometrics is is massive. So. Uh, yeah, awesome to hear your thoughts there, man. Uh, so talk about the brain. Let's get to question two. Shoot, and, and isometrics is definitely a good thing to hang out uh, talking about for for a half hour. I, at this, I'm super excited to ask you this because I know you have Pat Davidson on all the time. You know, Christian Thibodeau, you've had, and you you are a holistic guy. Uh, so individualization factors. Uh, maybe let's just start with a general overview. What are some things that you are are very concerned about right now? You get an athlete in. These are the things I want to individualize you based on. What are some main things that would pop into your, holistically, maybe not even just like, you know, FMS style, but just holistic general ideas? Well, I suppose I'll just give you a run through of what an intake would be for me. So it would basically consist of uh, movement and then it would consist of performance parameters, you know, analysis. So basically, the, the FMS is my initial intake. Listen, we could you know talk a little about that. It gives me what I need. If they do have pain, I I will defer to something like an SFMA. If they're in ser- if they're seriously effed up, I'll refer them out. Um, but then from a performance uh, standpoint or profiling, I like to just look at uh, their linear t- their linear sprint. So like a forty meter sprint time, broken into ten meter sections. Uh, so you're kind of getting a bit of that that speed continuum, that speed profile. Now, a really good thing, and I just want to touch on this, that Cameron Josh brought up on your last podcast, and I don't know why more coaches don't already know this or aware of this because it's so common sense. The speed continuum from track and field does not carry over to field-based athletes because they're completely, they're not track and field athletes. So, like, you know, in, in track and field, it's like world-class track and field athletes can, can accelerate all the way up until, like, 60 meters and they maintain and they die off, you know? And then, the, you know, the acceleration phase is like 0 to 10, and then there's an explosive strength or that transition phase, sorry, from, from 10 to 30, and then 30, it's max speed on outwards, and then they hit their top speed at between 60 and 80. And it's like, yeah, that's for world-class athletes. Like, field-based players, like, their acceleration lasts, I don't know, like 5 meters, 7, <laughs> 8 meters, and then, like, and see, they already start from an upright running position, so they actually hit upright running postures really quickly. That's why it's very important to train absolute speed and upright postures. You know, you get these coaches saying all oh, field-based games are all just acceleration dominance. Like, eh, that's not true. Uh, but so linear speed, I test of change of direction. Uh, just that you're basically five and five all times, all gates. Uh, a jump profile, non-counter, counter. Then I do a four jump um, on a reactive strength index. Uh, and then obviously, if they have a background in lifting, I usually just go with very general strength lifts, one RM trap bar, one RM bench. And then from an energy system standpoint, I deal mostly with field-based athletes, so I would always utilize something like a yo-yo level one or two test, like the Bangos test. From that, that gives me a, a profile of the person. Now, psychological profiles, I, I know I had Christian on. I, I never, I've never actually officially done that to anyone, so I'd be lying if I said I do it to anyone. I have never done psych... psych- now, I, can I appreciate that everyone's different psychologically? Of course. I think if anyone's listened to me speak or in my podcast, I think everyone knows I'm profoundly... Uh, I'm profoundly influenced by the field of epigenetics, and that's made me appreciate that the organism is greatly shaped by its environment. You know, everyone and everything is out there for a reason. Um, and, you know, so the organism is greatly shaped by the environment and all the experiences it's had up until this point in its in its life. Uh, from a nutritional standpoint, 
I played around with Metabolic Titan before back in the day. It was more so my own curiosity. The more I get into nutrition, right, first of all, there's principles. And the, the main resource I would recommend people go to there would be Eric Helms or Mike Isertel in terms of their principles. You know, energy in, energy out, energy balance number one, macronutrients two, micros three, uh, frequency and timing will be four, and then the, least, the fifth and least important would be your supplements. That's kind of your pyramid, your hierarchy there. Now, we could you know, get into more deeper conversations on all those points, but for the sake of this podcast, I'll leave it at that. Um, but I do do nutritional intake in terms of a, a dietary recall. Um, so my basic sort of principles or system is based off Alvar Meal's hierarchy. I don't know if you've seen that. So, and I sort of like tweaked it around and added to it. So the hierarchy, my hierarchy for athletes is this. At the base is your nutrition, your, your sleep and circadian rhythms, your lifestyle, and basically your overall psychological health and kind of your spiritual acuity. Like, like do you feel like you have a purpose in life? Stuff like that. Then it's your movement quality. Can you move? Do you have, like, how do you move? I don't care what people use there. Dan Faft uses a warm up. Other coaches will use Kelvin Giles', Kelvin Giles um, physical competency assessment. Other people will use the FMS. Other people will use what I, I don't care what you do. As long as you're appreciating movement. I think all the top coaches know what I'm on about there. Uh, then to me, it's getting into your work capacity. Do you have general work capacity? Okay. After that, then. I like to know where you're at from a, like, you're, I obviously intake your body composition, but from optimizing your body composition, that's kind of where it would fit into them. So in terms of, we, if we need to optimize your body composition from a hypertrophy or fat loss standpoint, that training would come after I know you have a good work capacity base, because now you can recover from those sessions. After we get body comp hypertrophy, then it's general strength, then it's maximum strength, then explosive strength, then elastic reactive, and then finally we get to speed, multi-directional speed each quality building on each other. So from that profile that I get off Natalie, that tells me where they're most efficient and that tells me where I need to direct their training. Because I spoke about this with Maladin Janovic. It never made sense to me why people kept going through these cycles of a general phase. So like say a hypertrophy phase into a strength phase into uh, into like a, a power phase and then into maybe a, a well, conversion is power. So it never made sense to me to go hypertrophy, strength and power. If let's say you already had someone who didn't who didn't need hypertrophy or work capacity, and then do a strength phase when you already had someone who was like really strong and and, and actually their limiting factor was like rate of force films or elastic reactive strength, and you only have eight weeks with this person, I'm like, why not get an assessment and say, oh look, this is where you're most weakest, this is where we need to fill in the gaps, this is going to give us the biggest bang for your buck, and then like you're basically just get, getting right to the point what this individual needs, and that doesn't mean, and we notice that doesn't mean that you don't you don't train other qualities that they're already good in you just maintain those qualities while you fill in what they're deficient in so for me the way i would that that's how, sort of how i assess in terms of gaining information and then from that from my programming what the way i program then is we train everything but it's an emphasis based model we emphasize what you need and we'll usually do that and if we're going to train more than one thing it's usually going to be a compatible quality uh, and then we'll retain the other qualities. So it's very much like Charlie's vertical integration, to be honest. You know, so we, as as Alvar Meal says, there's a tread of everything in the program, but we'll emphasize. But your question anyway was back to assessments. That's pretty much what I do. I have a movement appreciation assessment. I have a performance profile that guides me then into my programming. In terms of psychological stuff, Joel, I haven't really delved much into that yet. Like the Braverman, like Christian. So I'm not u- utilizing any of that stuff really yet to determine like responses to training or influence in my training. Um, and then nutrition-wise, it's just been a, a food uh, a food recall and just basic education on the principles again. So like energy balance, macros, micros, 
um, timing and frequency, and then finally supplements. Yeah, yeah. Well, hey, that's that's cool stuff. I like kind of the mix of, of the linear speed and then the strength and, and nutrition. I think that's uh, it's good. I mean, how old are you, Robbie? You're what, twenty eight or twenty nine? I'm thirty. Oh, are you thirty? Thirty. <laughs> uh, I was gonna say, yeah, you so got thirty still. Did, did I say that right? Thirty. 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 I'll say now. I'll say this now because the the jazz rundown. If you listen to this, you'll laugh right. Right, jazz. You ready? Thirty-three and a third. <laughs> I was gonna say, I was. Uh, I heard someone talk about that the other day. Ask an Irish man to say thirty-three. That's actually pretty darn good. I, anyways, your thirties, uh, maybe your thirties. I mean, shoot, you're. I I wasn't up on on nearly that stuff that you are at thirty for sure. So I'm sure you got your thirties to tie in all the psychological. Sure, look, look at look at fucking Cameron Josh, the little bollocks. He's not. He's not. What is he? Twenty-seven, twenty-eight. Oh. Like. Unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, right. I got you got him and you got guys like yeah, Max Schmarzo who's who's yeah. younger than Cameron. It's cool doing this podcast, right? It's like you got these guys from their twenties like, man, when I was like your age, I was just sitting there playing Xbox all the time, being an idiot, man. Like I didn't I didn't start to get my stuff together until I was uh like late twenties or, or thirty, man. You guys are just doing awesome smoking for jo- yourself. Smoking joints, getting high. <laughs> Joel, Joel, Joel's like, speak for yourself, Robbie, and he's like, we'll yeah. move on. Let's yeah, move speak on. for yourself, Robbie. Yes. Uh, okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, I, well, that's that's cool. It, that that takes me actually. You had mentioned a little bit about uh, what you're talking to with Miladin about, and and it, I, I one thing I wanted to ask you because you've had talk with guys like Stone and Half, and there's almost like it's kind of like an old school thought, but at the same time, I'm kind of like, should we really lose this in the shuffle? But the idea of you know, classical. The elements of classical periodization, just the the delayed training effects side of that, because I feel like that's the essence of it. Uh, but what have you learned from those guys, and what's your thoughts on on how are we really how is periodization kind of morphing as we move along, and and also in counts of de- the delayed training effects? Yeah, so I actually really like this question because an area of interest of mine is a friend of mine here, Owen McGuire in Ireland, too. This is a big area of interest of ours is training residuals. So. Because when I interviewed Half Last, he was like, training residuals to him are like the holy grail of training because he's like, they're so individual to the person. Um, and, and they are like, so what, what, while, there, while there's, there are principles of training that apply to everyone, the individual dose response to each one of those principles is going to be very individualized. We know that. Now, in terms of this thing of periodization, okay, again, this kind of goes back... I don't know. I've always felt I've been very observant. I'm one of these people that if I if I meet someone, I'll know straight away that you're left-handed when I see you right, and I won't forget that. Like you know, just just little things about like I often get people saying like, "What hand does Joel write with?" Like, and they've been sitting beside you in school for six years and they don't know. I'm like, how do you not know that? This is such an easy. So like, just in terms of like the periodization discussion, like I just think like we're making it far more complicated than what needs to be because you get people saying like, "Well, there's half and stone who are real like." You got that strength endurance block, which is what they call the hypertrophy block. Then you have your strength block and your power block. And you have these training residuals and you have this phase potentiation where each phase is the foundation for the next phase, where each block is is the, is the foundation for the next block. And then, like, people hear John Kiley speak and then just John Kiley, not John Keeley, John Kiley. <laughs> you hear John Kiley speak and then, uh, like, John, like, some people take away from John that periodization, uh, you don't periodize. And that's not what John is saying. John is saying that you need to just be flexible on a moment-to-moment basis within your training plan. That is what John is saying. And I don't think anybody would disagree with that. Like, it's just it's like, I think we, that all makes sense. That's why we're, we're technology in terms of daily readiness is getting so big in terms of things like HRV and 
basic subject, subjective questionnaires and getting feedback from our velocity-based uh, technologies and stuff like that. But in, in terms of the, if you want to call it old school, I definitely think there's something to that. And half also thinks very similar to myself in terms of, or or do I think similar to half? I mean, he's older than me and he's way more smarter. But in terms of people like, do you do concurrent or do you do block? And half is like, mm, it's not an either or. He says, we do both. So it's, it goes back to like almost that vertical integration in terms that we train everything all the time, but we just emphasize a particular physical quality or capacity uh, at a particular time in training. And then we maintain or introduce the other qualities, depending if it's an advanced athlete, we'll maintain qualities. If it's a beginner, we'll introduce those qualities. And then just making sure that we that we we sequence train in a logical sequence uh, based off the current knowledge that we have of how certain physical capacities develop. You know, so... Um, and then in terms of just making sure then from a daily readiness standpoint or moment-to-moment basis that we have flexibility and contingency plans within our periodization schemes, that would be the John Kiley piece. And Dan Faf did a beautiful thing last January, the ACP, where like someone says, well, Dan, like how do you individualize for like teams and high school athletes? And Dan's like, all he, Dan just put up in this board, he goes, okay, we're going to do three, three to six sets of... Uh, I think I can't. I'm just just paraphrasing now, but he's just giving examples. We're going to do three to six sets of four to eight 10 meter accelerations. The kid's not having a good day. You're doing three sets of four. The kid's having a great day. There's no performance drop offs. We could keep tipping this volume up till the high, till you know, towards the five sets of six or uh, if, if six sets of eight. You know what I mean? So he's like, if you're having a bad day, you go lower to the volume. If you're having a, a, a great day, keep going from the drop-off. You might be able to hit the top volume. So he's like, you give this bracket, this ratio, this uh, bandwidth, this spectrum. So like that's kind of the contingency plans, okay? So it's uh, things like that. It's, it's just to acknowledge you need to be fluid within your periodization. Uh, do I think there's still something to phasing periodization and training residuals? Yes, I do. The one thing I will say, and I still haven't had time to go research this because you know yourself Joel it's like there's a million one things we all have to do you know family and kids and your end for me it's just uh, food sleep and just reading other things I'm a bachelor ladies just so you know I'm a bachelor I'm available <laughs> but uh, is I really do want to get more into the research behind Isherin's training residuals because if you look at a lot of Isherin's work a lot of the quotations and citations are Isherin's work now that's not saying to, to belittle Isherin but it's just like there's very little else out there to me apart from Ishran. I think there's a guy, James Councilman, who's got someone training residuals. But residuals definitely seem to be a big thing in this delayed training effect without question. I mean, we know from the work of Virgin Institute, the delayed training effects and whatnot. But uh, due to the delayed training effects, I do still think that there is definitely, currently where I'm ahead of that, it's definitely still worth having a, a, a uh, sequential order in your periodization or what what, what half and, and, and Stone call phase potentiation. I, I, I do believe in that, you know what I mean, um, currently. and But within that, you have to be flexible on a moment-to-moment, a day-to-day basis because, I mean, we're, we know, we spoke about this the nervous system. Human species are dynamic, dynamic, dynamic organisms that are rapidly changing on a moment-to-moment basis. And that has going to have a profound impact on how we adapt to any stimulus. And that's why we will never respond to any stimulus the same way, even if it's the same. Like, And this goes back even to, like, uh, Bernstein and the freedoms, the degrees of freedoms of motion, or what's what's it called? The degrees, 
I should know this too. This is really bad. Degrees, degrees of freedom. Well, yeah, degrees of freedom. Yeah, I was thinking there's another thing that I that. But where where it's like where it's like repetition, repetition. Like you'll never repeat the same movement twice ever in your life, even you know ever. There's always going to be minute changes, and it's the same to them with an actual delay that or adaptation from if you're trying to train a physical capacity like strength or explosive strength. Your body's in a different place all the time, so the response can be different. It's like nutrition too. You could sit down and eat a meal, okay, and where you're at psychologically physiologically every which way with that meal will 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 determine how you respond to that meal the very next day you could eat that same meal same composition same everything well what well what you presume to be the same even though it can't be the same because it would be a slightly different steak and a slightly different but you know what i mean and you could be in a completely different psychological emotional state and you'll have a different response to that meal because your, your body chemistry is all different so it's to keep an appreciation for that that's kind of where john kiley comes from but to also have this sort of more global, have that with inside this more global macro sort of plan that if you want to say it's a bit more old school, the half and, and, and Dr. Stone are, are sort of um, exposing. And I definitely do think there is something to train residuals and have a sequential order to your uh, to, to your plan. And like finally, I'll let you uh, talk after this, like the, the sort of definition of half periodization is, uh, you know, periodization is the manipulation of training variables uh, in a logical sequence, done over a certain period of time to achieve a desired outcome. That's essentially what his his uh, his uh, uh, definition of periodization. I used to always say periodization is manipulation of training variables, um, done over a certain period of time to 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 achieve a desired outcome. But he puts in in a logical sequence. He puts that little piece into it as well. You're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast, brought to you by Simply Faster. Uh, I, I think that's good stuff. I have two things, uh, two kind of follow-up questions I have for you based off that. And that's a really, really cool answers. Really, uh, I, I like what you said about, and I'm glad you brought this up, and, and hearing Bernstein's name attached to that makes a lot of sense to me. It actually it kind of opens up a new frame of thinking for me. But the idea that basically the same training program it, it, it's, it's not going to necessarily work twice. Like someone did, did something that worked in the past, and then they try to do that again in the future they're not going to get the same result. I mean, I do understand the idea like bonder chucks, you know, this here's an exercise that you respond really well to. Let's save this for for later. Like let's save this for later in the quad, renal cycle or whatever. But uh, a great a great swim coach, I am you know in the world of swimming and swimming is all about the taper and I've heard a great swim coach say the taper is going to be a little bit different for every athlete every year. Like it's just going to be it's always a little bit different and because there's always different factors and different ways the body is learned and processed. And so I think that's, that is really interesting to me. Um, and then I wanted to ask you, you had mentioned a little bit, and this maybe ties in with it, but that, that the training residuals are different for each athlete. Could you expand a little bit on that? Like differences in training residuals, how an athlete, cause that, that to me, cause you have, you have camps that are like pure auto regulation and they don't really have training residuals. And maybe there's those, those types of athletes are different in how they respond to training residuals as well. You know, different, like how Kristen TV talks about the types of people. Uh, could you expand a little bit on how different people respond to different training residuals? I, I can only respond from what I've read and, and kind of the sports I've been involved with, but I suppose Again, it also depends on who we're talking about here. Are we talking a little more about someone who's like a little more endurance-based versus someone who's more of a neurological athlete mm-hmm. in terms of the sport that they do? So like, if you look at Isherin's chart, okay, he'll say that aerobic and strength has a 30-day residual plus or minus five days either way. If you have those qualities developed to a high enough standard, that seems to be their decay rate. Now, 
Does that also include if there's little top-up sessions in between? Don't know. It seems to be like that's the pure trainers. Where is he getting that from? That's where I need to do more research. Then he says like uh, strength endurance is like 18 days plus or minus. I think it's like three or five days either side. I don't have the chart in front of me. But then a lactic qualities is like five days. So that's more like you know your strength and power or your speed power qualities. So more those neurological ones, which to me would make sense because they they would they would tend to be more fluctuated on a day to day basis with neurological input and output. But uh, I have heard other people say that aerobic detrains very quickly, and other people say it doesn't. It, it stays around very long. But Mike Young gave a very good answer to that to me on one of my podcasts. Mike Young was saying he says. He says, okay, you're looking at the aerobic residual as just one whole piece. So he's like, maybe like the heart morphology and like the central adaptations, they mightn't decay very quickly. But he's like, maybe some of the peripheral cellular stuff, that might decay quick. You know, so like the mitochondrial content, hmm, pillary density. So, so he was saying that maybe that's where some people say, oh, aerobic goes faster. And people say, no, it don't. Um, but yeah, I, I think... What's in my head right now is I think that the more neurological the sport is, I think maybe training residuals might be not, not that they're not important, but they might be less of a factor. You know, like so because the neurological is just like so, as you said, like if it's neurological and you put an input and you're expecting it to work, it should work almost instantaneously because the nervous system is so rapid responding. Whereas if it's more like there there is also slow responding systems you know so obviously the endocrine responses that we get to train and that the endocrine and hormone responses was a big backbone to a lot of training programs like a lot of the weightlifting programs that you read it was all about the it was all about the supercompensation or what was the word that this reconstruction almost of the organism through training the delayed training effect so they get this rebound, like so. They often talk about the t- testosterone to cortisol ratio and how they would actually get worse in training, but they did that on purpose so that they would purposely rebound, um, and then get the residual effect off that. But I suppose, like, again with residuals, it's it's still a huge area, and, and like t- to know people's residuals, you, you like you. What well, all we can do is give guidelines on both the evidence we have and what we've also seen in practice, and also. Give, give that evidence in, in in a place where we are under the assumption that everyone knows that everyone's an individual and it's not a be all or end all. Like that there's going to be such huge like n of one in this in terms of the training residual. Because oh, yeah. another fascinating and I'll let you talk now in a second. Another area that's been fascinating to me lately is the concept of fatigue. Like what is fatigue like? And I don't even mean acute fatigue where you're on a bike and someone's like, well, oh, one more you can do, you can do it in the central hypothesis versus the peripheral energy substrate. But like even like long term fatigue, like you heard these stories probably. Athlete has a competition in ten days, picks up a little injury, can't do any conventional training. Everyone's worried they're going to detrain. They go they go to the competition anyway because they're like fuck. I've trained all year for this. I might as well go out even though I probably won't win now or do anything. And they go out and they win and they set a PR, and it's they felt unreal. And it's just like I've done nothing really for ten days. And it's like I really don't think we fully appreciate how long fatigue can potentially stay in our system so again in terms of a, a residual in terms of a residual of fatigue and how long a fitness capacity depending again on what capacity we're talking about can actually stay within the system because another thing that also impacts train residuals too joel is how well you train that capacity as well up until the point where you have to go into a, a cessation of training that so like for the example powerlifter training 10 years versus a kid who's only training for a month and they both go on holidays for a month. Well, obviously, the guy who's trained 10 years is going to come back with far less of a 
decay in his strength than a kid who just trained for four weeks and now comes back after four weeks. Like, he didn't have any sort of money in the bank, so to say, you know what I mean? He spent his savings kind of quickly, whereas this guy had a 10 years' worth of savings in the bank. So that's another... There's just so many factors that go into training residuals. That's kind of where I'm at. And just the other thing, too, so isometrics being a big thing in my mind. Fatigue's been a huge thing in my mind. I really don't think... I, I really think that we are sort of, like, oh, like we're overly... I think we have too much fatigue in our system, is what I'm trying to say, and it's masking a lot of our fitness. I think the other thing is we're so trapped into a seven-day week like for some reason, I think a lot of people are like if I don't like if I, if I don't train this quality twice in one week, it's gonna start detraining. Like one time a week's not enough. I think some people are in that mindset, and I think that's something we just need to get away from. And that's one great thing about Chris Corfus, where he's like that athlete that he timed, and he's like if I train this athlete more than twice a week, he got worse. And how to know because I objectively was, you know, objectively timing him. I was like once a week's all he needed. Once a week in competition, that was it done. So I, I think there are things that we need to kind of maybe meditate and think a little more on. I I agree. I like actually what. When you were saying that, it made a lot of sense to me with some of the thoughts I had floating around. The idea of, like, uh, you guys, you could call it the electrical events, like pure, just t- fly 10 sprinting, 100-meter dash, uh, yeah. like a jump off one leg or, or like a pitcher, pitcher throwing. Like, these very electrical things probably don't need as much delayed training effect as uh, powerlifting or in, in stuff with endurance components, stuff that has more peripheral factors, muscular, like mitochondria, things you're saying that Mike Young was talking about, probably Absolutely. that stuff is going to have a lot more residual where something that's pure luck. And that's probably why, you know, Chris Corfus and, and those guys who are doing those systems can, can say, my periodization is the weather. You know, I'm not, I don't have to worry about it makes sense. And, and even working in swimming, I, it's cool things. I mean, I would have never pictured myself. You asked me 10 years ago that I was training swimmers. I would have never thought, but it's you learn so many cool things, and swimmers are all about the taper, and even the community knows. Oh, this is there's a really muscular guy, and just how people who have more muscle versus who people who have less, like they taper. Somebody who has more muscle usually has a better taper because they respond better to rest because their all their peripheral stuff is resting, you know. And those guys are going to have a monster taper or whatever uh, compared to a, a, a more a neural guy. But if you, again, if you think about somebody who is more muscular. If they're more muscular and and they're strong, so they can innervate that tissue, they're going to cause more homeostatic disruption every time they train. Mm-hmm. Therefore, more damage. Therefore, more fatigue. Therefore, they will need a more yes. recovery time or a delay. Whereas, you know, if you get someone who is not as muscle bound, but maybe they're still neurologically efficient, they might cause as much peripheral damage. They might need that taper so much to say. They just need to make sure their nervous system is fresh and firing on a moment-to-moment basis. So. Yeah, that's good stuff. That's really interesting, Robbie. I. Uh, man, I, I could talk with you all day on this stuff. I feel like we've we have a lot of similar influences, and and it's uh, it's good to connect on all these uh, on all these important aspects of sport. So uh, that's the last question I have for you. Uh, I know my uh, my time is running out today, but uh, I appreciate it, man. I, I I it was a blast having you on. I love talking about all these things, things that somehow we are both on the same wavelength or vibration on in our thought process. So it's good to get together and connect. Absolutely, Joel. And I just want to say, uh, you were saying this to my podcast. Your, your podcast is, without question, one of the top podcasts I listen to. That, along with probably Sigma Nutrition from my friend Danny Lennon, they're just consistently always on the loop. So uh, you're you're one of the rare, you're you're one of the few podcasts that like I've literally gone from episode one all the way through. And I just want to say your podcast is absolutely outstanding. I, I really love your podcast. Oh, thank you so much, Robbie. And yeah, to you as well. I, I've gotten so much out of yours. And, and um, they're, they're actually the two that are on my phone right now are the, the last two that I've been listening to have been your stuff. So I really appreciate what you're pushing out. Keep put, keep uh, pushing it forward. Uh, and, uh, you know, I uh, hope to talk to you again soon here, man.
thanks for tuning in for another episode. We will be back next week with none other than the man who was the guest for episode one, Scott Salwasser of Texas Tech Football. Really excited to bring that episode to you. Also, please visit our sponsor, simplyfaster.com. They are the number one supplier of high-end training technology, all in one place, top product of each category. So it's not like shopping in the American supermarkets where there's a million different things. You don't know what to get. The product in there is the top shelf. Christopher gets you the best price on it and the best customer service. Check out their store if you're interested in training tools such as KBox, 1080 Sprint, Freelap Timing System, Myon Tech, Muscle, uh, EMG Shorts, which that's on my wish list, I'll tell you, uh, and a lot of other great stuff. So we'll uh, see you guys next week. Have a great one.